But I'm excited tonight, uh, kicking off a brand new series tonight, which I'm super excited about, called Walk It Like I Talk It. And I don't know, that's kind of the best way to kick off a sermon. I wish I could kick off a sermon every week by giving away a pair of shoes. But a brand new series tonight. And uh, what we're going to be doing throughout the course of this series, we're going to be walking through um, the major sections and the major movements of the book of James. And uh, I'm really pumped about that. James, uh, if you don't know, is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He's the brother of Jesus, but he's the half-brother of Jesus because, you know, Mary and Joseph didn't, you know. Um, And so, uh, this is not not middle school. They did not have sex to get Jesus, to get Jesus the baby. Um, And so, he's a half-brother, you know what I'm saying? Family tree, you following me? Uh, Anyway, so, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, though, grew up with Jesus. And here's the crazy thing, and if you aren't sure what you believe about Jesus, um, one thing I always tell people, I've used this on an Uber driver before, is that um, Andy Stanley, our senior pastor, always says this, um, that can you imagine trying to convince your sibling that you're the savior of the world? Um, Yeah, well, Jesus can James. James became convinced that his brother was the savior of the world. And so he wrote this letter. And here's the main point and kind of the big overarching idea of why James wrote this letter. James wanted to challenge Christians. He wanted to challenge Jesus followers to actually live out the faith that they professed. James is full of practical, this is what it looks like to actually walk out your faith. James wanted to step on the toes of Jesus followers who professed Jesus with their lips, but failed to live it out with their lives. In other words, Jesus wanted to challenge Jesus followers to walk it like they talk it. And what you're probably going to find over the course of the series, and if you navigate with us through the book of James, is that the book of James, and this is true for me too, it's going to reveal and unveil hypocrisy in your heart and in your faith that you did not know existed. And you can imagine why. I mean, when you are calling people to actually live out the thing that's so easy to talk about, you're probably going to unveil some kind of hypocrisy. I mean, that's the very definition of hypocrisy, right? When you talk about something, when you profess something, and it does not match up with how you actually live your life. It's going to step on your toes. It's going to step on my toes as well. And in that uncomfortable, no one likes to be called a hypocrite, right? Especially Christians. It's like, don't call me a hypocrite, you hypocrite. Yeah, it's like there's something about it. It's like, I'm not a hypocrite. But, but as, you, as you feel any tension in this series, I want you to lean into that. If you feel like a pressure point is getting pushed on, I want you to lean into that because there is something there for you. In fact, I've often said that um, the greatest threat to Christianity isn't some kind of like, I don't know, a terrorist group or, or the government or, or, or anything. I think the greatest threat to Christianity are people who claim Jesus with their lips yet fail to live it out with their lives. In fact, um, maybe you or maybe if you're watching online, you probably know somebody or maybe for you, you, you stayed away from faith for a long time. You weren't really interested in Jesus for quite some time because you knew a Jesus follower who didn't actually live out the faith that they professed and you were uninterested in the inauthenticity of what they claimed to be faith. So James, I'm telling you, man, it's gonna reveal some hypocrisy in your heart and in your faith. And ultimately, here's what James is going to do for you and for me in this book, is that James is going to show you and me what spiritual maturity looks like. He's gonna show us what spiritual maturity actually looks like. I don't know if you ever wondered, how do you know if you're actually maturing in your faith? Well, I think what James would argue and what we're going to say throughout the course of the series is you are maturing in your faith 
when it goes from just belief and becomes an action. That spiritual maturity is not just based on knowledge. It's not just based on taking in as much biblical information as possible. No, no, spiritual maturity is actually immaturity if it is knowledge void of any action. What spiritual maturity is, is when the faith you profess actually begins to be walked out in your life. And honestly, I can't think of a better conversation to jump into over the next few weeks than this topic right here to talk about spiritual maturity because it is my strong conviction, and I'm just gonna kind of be real with you guys for a second. It is my strong conviction that in 2020 and even in the beginning here of 2021, the immaturity of many Jesus followers has come to light. And I'm not just talking, I'm talking about myself as well. That we hit one of the hardest years we had with so many ups and downs, so many things going on, and I'm convinced that the maturity or the lack of maturity in many Jesus followers kind of came to light, and I'm including myself in that conversation as well. That if you look back at 2020, in 2021, for many of you, um, you stopped owning your faith because it was built on a gathering in a building rather than a savior. That in the, in the crazy 2020 year we had that had a heightened political climate and a lot of unrest in, in, the, in, in the social justice and fighting social injustice um, world and realm, for a lot of us, we got really, really bad at loving and got really, really bad at listening. For so many of us, uh, we got really, really good at weaponizing and not, not really good at empathizing. And come on, uh, just a little while ago here in 2021, we had a bunch of people, some of them who claimed to be Jesus follower, raid and storm the nation's capital. So as I look at the landscape of what we're coming out of, again, I'm including myself in this. I think there's been a lot of immaturity that was unveiled. And so here's my challenge to you, is that there are so many Jesus followers that are not actually putting action to their faith. Here's my challenge. Let it not be so with us. Let it not be so with us. Let the outside world that looks at the Jesus followers that are a part of the living room and call this place home, let them not be able to call anybody here a hypocrite. No, no, my challenge to you is that this would be the thing that kicks off the year and we would begin to walk it like we talk it. And just to be totally, totally clear, spiritual maturity is a process. And all of us, including myself, the professional Christian with a microphone is a work in progress. There's nothing wrong with being a work in progress. I just want us to lean in and to dive in and to be honest about where we are and figure out what those steps are that we can actually begin to take. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Walk it like I talk it. Y'all didn't know that Migos was in the Bible, did you? Yeah, that's right. Where y'all think they got it? They got it from James. I'm just kidding. That'd be cool though. Um, anyway, so um, where we're going tonight, we're gonna be in James chapter one. We're gonna kind of somewhat go chronologically through the book of James. We'll kind of hop around just a little bit, but we're gonna hit most of the major sections and we'll be in James chapter one today. And, uh, and, and we're, we're kind of going top rope. What James talks to us about today and where we're gonna jump into in James chapter one and what he wrote, it's really tough. It's really hard. It's not easy teaching to digest or to take in, but here's what we're gonna be talking about for the next few minutes and what James talks about in James chapter one is 
What should the response be of a Jesus follower in the face of adversity? And again, I can't think this is perfect coming out of 2021. Like what should the response of a Jesus follower be whenever life doesn't go the way that we had hoped? What should the response be of a Jesus follower whenever life gets difficult, whenever you face a trial? And again, I can't imagine a better conversation coming out of 2020 because for so many of us, we walked through more craziness in 2020 than we had in our entire life. What should the Christian response, be, Christian response be? As a Jesus follower, what's my response to trials and adversity? Right, I mean, you know this, that, that how you respond when life doesn't go your way, it is certainly a sign of maturity. And we get better at it as we get older, right? I mean, like when you were younger, like Harper, my two-year-old, um, like whenever she doesn't get her dessert or get more dessert, right, that's life not going her way, and she throws a tantrum. That is an immature response. But guess what? She's a two-year-old. She gets to have an immature response. When she gets older, like us, we're not going to throw a tantrum whenever we don't get two cookies from Chick-fil-A because we only paid for one. You know what I'm saying? So we learn how to appropriately respond to things, and that is growth, and that is maturity. I have learned, because of the Holy Spirit in me, how to appropriately respond whenever someone cuts me off, and me driving doesn't go my way, right? There are all these things. For some of you, there are things that have happened in your life. You, you, di you didn't get a job, or, or you didn't get accepted here, or things didn't work out the way that you had hoped they would. And in some instances, you responded well, and then in some instances, you didn't, but you learned something. You learned something about yourself. And here's what I found so fascinating is you and I, we typically tend to admire people that respond well whenever life doesn't go their way. We respect people. We're like, man, there's like so mature that they responded that way. Like there's something about them whenever we see people. It inspires us whenever they respond well when life doesn't go their way. So what we're gonna talk about for the next few minutes is how are we supposed to respond? How are we supposed to respond whenever life doesn't go our way? James chapter one, verse two, uh, James, the very brother of Jesus, writes this. Consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but this is the complete opposite for me. When I am facing a trial, I consider it pure joy when I'm done with it. I consider it pure joy when I can avoid it. What James is saying is, no, 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 in the face of it, I want you to consider it pure joy. That's tough. That's not an easy thing to swallow or just like, oh yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. No, no, that's difficult. Because our default response to difficulty and to trial is not to consider it pure joy. And he casts a wide net. He says, trials of many kinds. It could be some kind of tragedy. It could be some kind of financial trial. It could be loneliness. It could be some kind of breakup that threw you for a loop. It could be you not getting the interview you wanted or not getting the job that you wanted or you not getting into the school that you wanted or maybe your parents ended up getting divorced. I mean, whatever trial you can think of, that you've gone through or could go through, when life doesn't go your way, he says, the way that I want you to face it, I want you to consider it pure joy. Why? Well, we have to understand first what James isn't saying to understand what he is saying. James is not saying, hey, as a Jesus follower, whenever you go through hard times, you just need to smile like a Chick-fil-A employee. Y'all know what I'm talking about, man. You could spell a whole thing of Chick-fil-A sauce on their show. Be like, oh my gosh, would you like another? Um, they're so nice. I meant that as a positive. 
He's not saying you just need to smile and be happy whenever things don't go your way. He's not saying you just need to fake it until you make it. That's not authentic at all. That's not the way that we're called to live. No, 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 James is not saying that joy is the same as happiness. That's kind of point number one, I want you to write it down, is that joy is not the same as happiness. And so to understand where James is going, you've got to get this. Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness describes an emotion. Happiness describes an emotion. Emotions are constantly changing. Emotions go up and down. You can wake up in a bad mood tomorrow just because it's a Thursday and you haven't even seen anybody yet. Emotions are constantly changing. They're constantly swaying. They're up and down. And we can't always trust our emotions. Our emotions aren't bad. But isn't it true that there's sometimes when it's like, oh, I don't need to have an emotional reaction There are times when I get really upset with something or with somebody and I've got to wait to go have a conversation because I'm too fired up to have a conversation. My emotions are going to do the talking and I know that will not go well for me or for them and I'm gonna say some things that I'm going to regret. Happiness is an emotion and emotions are constantly changing, but joy, joy is not an emotion. No, no, joy describes a state of being regardless of your emotion. Joy describes a state of being regardless of the emotion that you are feeling. Joy, specifically Christian joy, is a deep-seated contentment in any situation due to trust in God. I'm going to say that again. Joy is a deep-seated contentment in any situation due to, because of, a trust in God. Now, how should we feel in the midst of a trial? Whatever you need to feel. Sad, man, you should feel sad. Mad, you need to get mad. Frustrated, disappointed, whatever you're feeling isn't bad and James isn't telling us not to feel the things that we should feel. In fact, man, if you go through difficulty whenever things don't go your way and you are not expressing the feelings that you probably should be feeling, I've probably got some concerns. God created you and I with emotions. God isn't afraid of your emotions. He isn't even afraid for you to let him know how you feel about your emotions. Go read David in the Psalms. That man was brutally honest with God. God's not afraid of of your doubt and of you bringing your honesty to what you're feeling to him. Joy is not the same as happiness. What James is not telling us here is how to feel. No, no, he's telling us how to think. That word consider, it means to think. And joy is not rooted in an emotion, it's rooted in what we know to be true about God. What James is trying to do is to get us not to feel differently about trials, but to think differently about trials. That we can have joy during trials, not because of what is going on around us, but because we know what is true about the one, about the God that is with us. Massive difference between joy and happiness, that James isn't commanding you and I on how to feel, he's commanding us on how to think. He wants us to have an adjustment to our attitude as we face a trial. He wants us to change the way that we think about the trial, why? He goes on, he says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. The testing of our faith produces perseverance. He goes on, let perseverance then finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking 
anything. So two big ideas here, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then when you let perseverance finish its work, you may be mature and complete. Point number two, I want you to write this down. This isn't even my quote, but it was so good, I'm just gonna steal Augustine. Augustine was this theological giant many, many years ago, and this is what he had to say about this verse, and it was so good that this is gonna be point number two. Trials prove us and improve us. Trials prove us and improve us. And I wanna break that down here for just a second. Trials prove us the testing of our faith and then they improve us. When perseverance finishes at work that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials prove us. That word testing right there in James chapter one, verse three. That word testing, it doesn't mean to test if something is right or wrong. It means to test if something is authentic or counterfeit. That trials will test your faith and trials will test my faith. And ultimately what it means is to, um, to test the authenticity or the value of something. Let me give you an example that's helpful. Take gold, for example. When you take gold and you put it in fire and you hold it over fire, gold is only going to get brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. It might change form, but it never loses its color. It only gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Gold, when it's trial by fire, you know that it's still gold because it gets brighter and brighter. But if you were to put pyrite or fool's gold in fire, it eventually turns black. When you test gold, trial by fire, if you will, Here's what you find out. You figure out what that gold is actually made of. Is it authentic? Is it real? Or is it counterfeit? And that's what James is getting at for you and for me. That whenever our faith is tested by trials, those trials test our Faith, that whenever you and I go through trials, here's what happens. We begin to actually figure out what we, our faith, and our character is actually made of. Because there are things, and I know this is not easy, but it's just true. There are things about your faith. There are things about your character. There are things about who you are that you are never going to learn until you go through a trial, until I experience difficulty. That for so many of us, man, it's easy to walk around talking about our faith. And if I'm being real, it's easy for us to walk around and talk about how much we trust God until we actually have to trust God. And that testing of our faith reveals what we actually believe, what we've actually built the foundation of our life on. It'll reveal to us gaps in our thinking about who God is, gaps in our theology and gaps in our faith, that in the midst of a trial, you're going to figure out and you're going to learn very quickly what you and your faith are actually made of. That trials ultimately, they're going to stretch your trust in God and your obedience to God. They're going to stretch your trust in God. No doubt, in the midst of a trial, man, when life is going difficult, every single one of us at some point, I would imagine, I know I would, but we're going to struggle. Okay, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Like, there's going to be a stretching there of us actually trusting God. Like, okay, I'm really going to find out if I trust God or not. And then our obedience in God is also stretched. I mean, when you're going through difficulty, 
It's so easy to want to self-medicate. When you're going through difficulty, the last thing you want to do is just follow whatever Jesus would want you to do. You want to do some things just to kind of forget about whatever it is that you're going through. Whenever you're, tr whenever you're trying to follow God's lead on your life and you walk through some difficulty, it gets a lot harder to continue following the way that God has you. When you walk through trials, and when I walk through trials, our faith in God, our trust in God, and our obedience to God is stretched. But come on, you know this. It is in the stretching, it is in the challenging that growth happens. It's in the challenging and it's in the stretching that you learn that maturity starts to happen. And there are things about us that we're never gonna learn if we never walk through trials. It's like wanting to, to grow and, or wanting to like get fit and, and develop some muscular tone to your body, clearly I have none, without working out and just sitting there. It is in the straining, it is in the difficulty, it is in the soreness that you start to see growth. And the same is true for these trials. And, and ultimately what they do is they produce endurance in you and in me. What is endurance? It's the quality that enables us to stay on our feet when life wants to knock us down. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the quality that enables us to endure, to keep going, to persevere, to not give up the faith, to not stop believing that God can even redeem this. And the testing of our faith will ultimately produce perseverance. Why? It's really simple. Because when our faith is tested, we are either going to keep going and endure or give up. We are either going to keep on going and believe that God is with us and we're gonna endure it, we're gonna keep the faith, we're gonna keep walking, we're gonna keep believing and we're gonna keep obeying and in that, God is gonna grow us, God is gonna stretch us and God is gonna mature us and he's gonna grow our endurance which is gonna grow our ability to walk through the next trial or, or we're not going to endure and we're gonna learn about some gaps in our theology and we're gonna learn some things about our faith that we did not know before. And maybe, maybe you're gonna learn, okay, I don't know that my faith in God was as strong as I thought it could be. I don't know that my trust in God is what I thought it was. I've got some questions and I've got some doubts and I've gotta figure out what it is that is going on. But James tells us, but man, if you endure, if you keep on going, if you keep on believing that God can be in it, there's gonna be maturity. God's gonna grow you. And let me just tell you why this encourages my heart. Because here's what I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the one constant in all of our lives is that we will experience trials. Take God out of the equation. Take Jesus out of the, take faith out of the equation. Here's the one constant for all of us is that we are going to experience trials in our lives. But what James is saying is that in God's mercy, he is going to use them. Don't miss this. Point number three, I want you to write this down. There is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the pain. This is very logical for me. You take God out of the equation, I'm going to experience pain and difficulty in life. But what James is saying is that there is a God that's gonna take what's gonna happen to you anyway, whether you believe in him or not, and he's gonna use it to grow you and to develop you and to lead you closer to him. There is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the trial. There is purpose in the struggle. There is purpose in the heartbreak. There is purpose in the pain. Watch this. God in his mercy 
will not let anything in your life go to waste. He'll use all of it. Oftentimes when we think about God's mercy, it's him keeping bad things from us. And while that is true, the flip side is also true. That in God's mercy, he won't let anything happen to us in vain. Is it God causing all of this? No, we just live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, marred by sin, and it is not as it should be, and it won't be until Jesus comes back to make all things right. But God in his mercy will not let us go through trials and experience difficulty in vain. He's going to use it. That encourages my heart. Gives me hope. I've had my fair, fair, my fair share of surgeries. Both of my ACLs were torn, broke a collarbone, got a metal plate in there. Uh, Y'all know all about my kidney, had my gallbladder removed. I'm like, like, can I get a warranty on this body, God? You know what I'm saying? Like, I got some defective parts for real. I'm running out of organs and stuff. My new ACLs, though, are better than the ones God gave me. Um, But I've had my fair share of surgeries. And the interesting thing about surgeries, man, like you go in for a surgery, and if you've had a surgery, you know this. Recovery for surgery is awful. It's painful. Like I didn't have to take painkillers before my surgery, but man, I gotta take some after. It's painful and it hurts, but there is purpose in the pain because the surgery fixed what was broken. I'm here to tell you that there is purpose in the pain. That when you put your hope in Jesus, there is purpose in the trial. And what God might be trying to say to you in the midst of it is, hey, I'm going to use this to give you a bigger picture of me. I'm going to use this to grow you into who I called you to be. God might be saying, hey, I'm going to use this to mature you for that marriage one day, for that leadership opportunity one day. I'm going to use this to mature you to step into that moment of influence. I'm going to use this to mature you so you can step into that opportunity and be ready for it. God might be saying, hey, I'm going to use this to allow you to reach your fullest potential. And man, I'm telling y'all, for some of you, God might be saying, and maybe for all of us, hey, listen, you're going through this, but I'm going to give you an understanding and I'm going to give you compassion necessary for you to help someone else that's going to go through this later. There is purpose in the pain. So what do we, what do you do with all that? Okay, God, consider it pure joy. I'm going to think about my trials. I'm going to adjust my attitude. Why? Because I know that in the testing of my faith, it's going to produce endurance. And I don't know about you, but if I know trials are coming no matter what, I want endurance to be able to go through the next trial. I want endurance to be able to go through the next trial. And it is in that endurance and it is in that persevering that we are made mature, that we grow, that we are made complete. There is purpose in the pain. So how do we actually do this? I'm going to tell you right here. Ready? Write this down. How can we begin to practically live this out? We have to reframe what you can't control. I want you to reframe what you can't control. This idea of reframing is so powerful and it is so helpful. Again, remember, for James, he's not trying to tell you how to feel. We're gonna be all up in our feels as we go through difficulty, as we should. But he wants us to change the way that we think, the attitude that we bring to a trial. So I want us to reframe which you can't control. Reframe, repurpose it. 
that I want you to think about this trial that the enemy meant for evil, but my faith is in a God that can redeem it for good. Like I want you to, 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 to give that trial a brand new identity. Okay, this isn't what I would have chosen. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I wanted for my life. Okay, this, I'm, I'm sad. I'm frustrated. God, I'm disappointed. But you know what? I'm gonna reframe this because I know that you're with me. I'm gonna reframe the way that I think about this because I know that you're good. We have to reframe what we cannot control. So how do we reframe? I'm gonna give you three things and we'll be out of here tonight. Reframe what you can't control. And the first is this. We've gotta get better at asking questions. I want you to ask questions. I want you to ask questions. I want you to process what you're actually going through. I want you to process it. Don't just write it off as just a difficult circumstance and you hope God will just kind of grow you magically. No, 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 no. As you're navigating through it, I want you to process it. The best way to process something is to ask questions. I love what James writes in the very next verse. We just read verses two through four and he says this in James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I love this. He talks about consider it pure joy. And if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God. My favorite thing about this is James is giving you and I permission to struggle. He's giving you permission to struggle. He's giving you permission in the midst of a trial. It's not like, okay, uh, Samer said consider it all joy. Okay, I'm gonna consider it pure joy. No, no, no. There might be a trial, there might be a season, there might be a difficulty where you are going to struggle to remember what James wrote in chapter one, verse two. And what James is reminding you and me here is that God is in a heavenly father that is looking at you just waiting for you to get it right and he's gonna be mad at you for when you get it wrong. He's okay with the struggle. And so James says, hey, listen, if you're in the midst of a trial, if you're in the midst of some difficulty and you're having a hard time kind of piecing all this together and figuring out what you should and shouldn't be thinking, ask God to give you wisdom. Not wisdom as to why this is happening, but ask God to give you the wisdom that reminds you trials are a part of life, that reminds you God is always with me. That reminds you, okay, I know that, 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 that God's gonna use this to, to grow me. I, I don't know why it's happening, but God's gonna use this to challenge me. I don't know how God's gonna ultimately lead all this out, but I know he is going to work something for my good and his glory. James says, as you're navigating difficulty and you're struggling to keep going, ask God for the wisdom to see things as he sees things. Ask God. Tell him how you're really feeling. Here are great questions that you can ask God and great questions that you can ask yourself. You ready? Write these down. What can I learn from this? Force yourself to process it, as difficult as it is. Write this out in your journal. What can I learn from this? Here's another question. How can I grow from this? Ask God, okay, God, how are you trying to grow from this? How are you trying to grow me in this? Write in your journal, how can I grow from this? Here's the third question. Who can I help because of this? God, uh, don't let this go and be in vain. Who can I help because of this? You might not know the answer to that question until years later. It might be a son, it might be a daughter, it might be a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or someone that you don't know yet and you're gonna work with them one day, but how, who can I help with this? Who can I help because of this, God? Ask those questions. Ask God to help you process those questions. Ask God to give you the wisdom to see the trial the way that James calls us to see the trial. And man, get some people that you trust and process those questions with them as well. 
That leads to the point number two, how we reframe. How you reframe is you don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. We were never meant to walk through life alone and we certainly were never meant to walk through trials alone. I don't know if you notice the beginning of the passage, he said brothers and sisters. He's talking to an audience, he's talking to multiple people and I guarantee you he had in mind communities of people that were struggling. Don't do it alone. You can't, you're gonna drive yourself crazy. God doesn't want you to do it alone. Um, me and my wife just recently finished, just a couple nights ago, we finished watching Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso fans in the house? You know what I'm talking about? It's on Apple Plus. Some of you are like, yeah, okay, thank you. That's great. Some of you are like, I can't afford another streaming service, Samar. Okay, I get it. But it's worth it for one month. $5.99, $4.99, I'll Venmo you, okay? It's worth it. Ted Lasso is a great show. But the premise is basically this American football coach who goes to England to coach a, a Premier League soccer team. And it's hilarious. Just, it's so just, it shouldn't work, but it does. So at the end, you know, I'm probably gonna ruin it. Try not to. Basically, there's a, there's a game when, there's a game where the, the team he's coaching, um, they lose, they needed to win. And the team's dejected, dejected in the locker room, they're all discouraged. And, and, and Coach Lasso comes in and he's giving this speech. I, mean, I, was, I was getting emotional. I mean, I was like, man, this is killing you. He said, preach tomorrow. Um, and, and he said this, he said this to the team. He said, do you know what's worse than being sad? Being sad alone. And I just thought, is that from the Bible? Because that's gold. <laughs> you know what's worse than going through a trial? Going through one alone. You know what's worse than navigating difficulty and life not going the way that you wanted it to? Navigating it alone. We were never meant to. It's too much to carry. That's why God created us to desire community because we need people around us to carry us when we seemingly can't walk on our own. We need people around us to remind us of what's true. We need people around us to cry with us. We need people around us to be mad with us. We need people around us that'll give us a hug when that's the only thing we can really muster up. We need people around us to help us process what God might be doing. Don't do it alone. And can I just tell you, that's one of the reasons we create a space like this. We say this all the time, and man, I hope you take us up on it. I don't care how big this ministry ever gets, we are always going to operate small when it comes to you. We're never gonna be too big to not notice you. We're never gonna be too big to not have a place for you. We don't joke around when we say you belong here. We don't just say it because it's fun to say this is a home for you, a home away from home. It's not just a piffy statement to say this is family. We mean it. And for those of you in the room, you've got a community around you and you know it for real. And for those of you watching online, maybe you've wondered whether or not I should step into community at the living room intentionally. Let me just tell you, when we open up registration in the fall, you absolutely should. Because you're gonna hit a trial. I mean, you can't, you can't walk through it alone and it's gonna be really, really hard, if not impossible, to reframe it 
alone. And then the last one, how do you reframe? You reframe by remembering the gospel. I want you to remember the gospel. Like, oh, of course you said that. No, no, I'm serious. Everything that we talked about tonight and everything that James wrote in James chapter one that we looked at two through five is useless if the gospel isn't real. Everything that James talked about is futile if Jesus didn't conquer death. And at the end of the day, the reason why we can keep on going, the reason why we can persevere in the midst of a trial and watch God mature us and grow us is ultimately rooted in the hope that we have in Jesus. That this life is not the end. That we follow a savior, watch this, that had a trial of his own, quite literally. And it led to his death and he died a death that he didn't deserve for you and for me. He faced the worst thing you could face on this side of heaven, death itself. He got put in a tomb and then on the third day he rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating the worst thing that we could face on this side of heaven. That's the Jesus that we follow. Any promise you and me in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. I've already won. I've already won a victory. And even if you don't see that victory now or on this side of heaven, we are promised it on the other. Remember the gospel. Remember Jesus that died. God redeemed that brutal death to save the world. And he can redeem your trial as well. And he can grow you as well. He will do something for your good and for his glory. And ultimately, no matter how it plays out, we have a promise beyond this life. And it is with that hope that we press on. To reframe what you can't control. Just ask some questions. Don't try alone. And remember the gospel. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to, to try to grasp the idea of considering it pure joy when we go through difficulty. It's hard. But Father, would you just help us tonight? Whether, you're, whether we're, we're going through one now or not, eventually we might, but would you just help us Would you remind us tonight that you are good? Would you remind our hearts tonight that you are always with us? Would you remind us tonight that in your mercy, you won't let anything that happens to us happen in vain? We're grateful you know us. We're grateful you love us. And we're grateful that you stick with us no matter what we're facing. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.